episode 11. Yeah, buddy. It's a big deal. Yeah, man, chipping away. Coming up with some, some good ones, so we gotta keep that flow going, that momentum going. I love it. I was talking to a member today, and he was, he finally listened to our, one of our podcasts, and he's looking at me, he's like, so, like, why do people listen to podcasts? I was like, because... Like, I don't, it was, it threw me off. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, people, you, know you should know. It. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. They like to multitask and learn. He's like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Cause I, I was driving when I was listening to it. I was like, okay. But, uh, he's so funny. He's European. He's a trip, but, uh, he said good thing, good things. I said, just whatever you do, don't listen to episode one. Yeah. I told yeah him. Go right to the later episodes. <laughs> Give us a little Give bit. Give us a chance to learn. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, what is the point of a podcast? You, to develop yourself, you know, listen to someone that, you know, you believe knows what they're talking about and mm. see if you, you can get some takeaways from them. That's funny because for me, when I listen to podcasts myself, is that if I can just walk away with one or two things, I'm happy. Because most of the time we are multitasking when we're doing this, so we can't write a bunch of notes. And for me, that's really hard. I feel like I'm in school again, sitting behind a desk. So being able to move is great. So for me, I reduce that pressure of trying to remember a lot by just saying if, if I can come away with a takeaway, one or two things that I can apply and execute in my life, the podcast was worth my time. Yeah, that's really good because I'll catch myself busting out my phone on the notes trying to every little sentence, you know. Yeah, well, you get to, anxiety, right? Yeah, it's like, it's oh, like, oh gotta... missing yeah, stuff. You don't right. want to miss stuff. But yeah, if you can take a one, two takeaways, that's good. And uh, I mostly listen to podcasts when I'm either in a car uh-huh. Okay, or like, you know, doing some cardio outside, make it, you know, two birds, one stone. Yeah, you talked about the lunges. That's probably the most dominant uh, or the most often way I've been listening to podcasts lately is through the 400-meter lunges that we're weekly doing. So it's it's great. Yeah, you're, you're making more uh, useful of your time. So it's good, man. You're talking about all this hype about March Madness and all this stuff. I don't uh, I don't have that excitement you have for it. Yeah, I mean, college basketball, you know, it really, really gets fun uh, when March Madness starts. It's a huge NCAA uh, tournament. Unfortunately, FGCU didn't make it this year. Dang. They, they had a uh, championship game uh, last week, and they were actually losing by 30. Wow. But then they brought it back to within six and then still lost. But if they would have won that, they would have they made it. How many seeds? What is the top what? Uh, there's 32 teams, I believe. That make it to it, and there's yeah. pre-qualifications, uh, basically. Don't quote me on that. There might be more than that. But, okay. um, I know there, yeah. Now, nah, there's got to be way more than 32. I don't know. But, um, yeah, there's, anyways. There's definitely a limit. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a big chunk of teams in there, and, um, you'll occasionally have these, they call these Cinderella teams, where they'll be, like, a smaller school mm. and a smaller conference, and they'll go out, and they'll face these big basketball powerhouses you right. know kansas north carolina right. duke and uh it's just entertaining man you see a bunch of buzzer beaters stuff like that well that was fgcu right like six seven years ago where they they went pretty far like top eight or something like that yeah we did um we made it to the sweet 16 that's what it was and uh we were going in as a 15 seed and we beat a number two seed which was georgetown at the wow. time wow wow and uh that's exciting. Yeah, it was awesome. Was it hype everywhere? Uh, yeah, it was, it was so awesome. Um, I was fortunate enough to be there during that time. Uh-huh. You know, like you always talk about being at Florida during the Tebow era. Yeah, while amazing. I was at FGCU during this Sweet 16 run. The energy is crazy. So I started FGCU about a year before that. So that was my second year there. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And then I just watched that school completely transform, you know, quadruple in enrollment. Growth enrollment. Yeah. Um, the, we were, uh, that week of the Sweet 16, we made like a million dollars in t-shirts uh, sales crazy alone. crazy for that. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, college hoops, man, it, it, it's good. It's uh, I was watching today kind of reminiscing about, you know, my youth sports days, not, you know, basketball, but just when I was a student athlete, so to say. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that, yeah, it, it turns out today uh, we're going to bring on that topic about, you know, how athletics, you know, uh, brought me and you both to where we are today. Yeah, but looking back on my own life, I think that even as a little child, like we, you know, like what people consider athletics for us was play. Like it was throw the football around. It was play a pickup basketball game at the basketball court like those things as we got older turned into more organized like there's coaches and there's leagues and there's weekly competitions but really all those things um, I think have really helped us both succeed in achieving the things that we've uh, set because of the qualities that sport has provided to us yeah and, and there's just countless there's so many so I feel like uh, our topic is going to deliver a lot of value yeah. uh, to our listeners. And um, I know you're a big wrestler. When, like, how old were you when you started wrestling? Dude, I didn't start till high school, believe it or not. Um, were you doing anything like younger, like Little League Baseball or anything like that? When you... I did Pop Warner football. For who? Uh, Gators. Gators. They were the Gators. I was a Knoll, so. Oh, sorry. Uh, Gators were dominant. I think they won a national championship. Like two years into my uh, my sophomore year in high school, they won a na- or my freshman year maybe they won a national championship. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so they were pretty dominant. Those were those guys that helped us later win a state championship in in high school. Was it your choice to to play pop Warner football, or your mom kind of? No, my mom was deathly afraid of it. It was the first organized sport I've ever played. Outside of that, it was just me playing outside as a kid. So you just wanted, um, to, wanted to do it and, and went for it? I did. I mean, I've always been competitive, um, but you know, a lot of my friends were doing it as well, so I think it was just an easy transition for me because if, what, if your friends are doing something, you're more likely to do it, especially uh, if you like playing sport or doing anything like that. Um, but I was always undersized. I was the undersized kid. I was the overweight kid. But I just had, I was just athletic enough to compete with some of the best. And I think that's why I continue to enjoy it. Because as you know, we say this all the time. If you suck at something, you really don't enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I just remember enjoying it, uh, enjoying it a lot. What position in popular uh, football? You're going to laugh. You're I was center or something like that? Oh, my God. Not center. I was nose guard. Nose guard. I could definitely see nose guard. nose guard. So I can get in quick. I was, you know, I was like a lace tackler. Like, I'd miss him at the top, but I'd get him on the ankle. Uh, and then that turned into fullback as I got older because I was a little bit bigger. I had some quick speed. Uh, and, again, it was just getting into the hole. And You definitely have the body type as a for a nose, a nose guard and a fullback for sure. Yeah, Short, stocky. It was fun. But, you know, eventually – you know, I had to come to the reality that, like, I, I wasn't going to grow anymore. <laughs> and so that's how wrestling, going back to the initial combo, was, like, my legitimate, like, heart and soul sport. Because, believe it or not, it helped level the playing field for me because I can compete against other individuals in my weight class. 
and not only that I, I was a natural at it like one of those things where the coach would show you a move and then he'd see you do it and he's looking at you like you've done this before bro and I was like no like I've never done this it just came quick it clicked yeah and it was the same thing I had a buddy a really good buddy of mine who was started who wanted to wrestle and he got us into it because his cousin was wrestling and we were just good enough to do it uh we liked it enough that because we were good enough to do it that we actually uh, committed ourselves to it. Yeah, the relationships you grow in sports is just un, you know it's it's unmatchable. To this day, most majority of my friends, friends. I met through football or baseball. Childhood friends and sport that turned into really good friends. You played a bunch of sports though. I know you were a pretty legit football player in high school. You went and played for. One of those preps. What are those preppy schools in town called? <laughs> St. John Newman. Oh, Catholic man, school. Catholic school. Did you guys actually do prayer and all that stuff in school? You had to? We actually had a, a mass every Wednesday. Wow. Wow. We, wow. Had to, we had to go to church. I see you just jacking around in mass. I, uh, I was a little serious. bit falling asleep. but. And you said you were uh, a baseball player. I never I never understood that sport. It's a lot more fun to, uh, to play than to uh, watch. That, yeah. That's for sure. But I was actually pretty good at baseball. What position did you play? Center field. Nice. Center field. A bit of everything out there. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you got the whole outfield to kind of cover. And, and I was, I still am decently fast, but I was pretty fast back then. Um, and, yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask me, what were you better at, football or baseball? And I still don't really know the answer for that. Really? Interesting. I was, I was pretty decent at both. You never do it. I'd ask your friends. Yeah, but they, I don't think they, they could give you an answer either. Really? Yeah. No, there's no doubt I was a better wrestler than football player. No doubt. Uh, but again, they're completely different sports, so who knows. But I think that goes into that, that first initial thought that we were talking about is like, once you start getting older and you get into organized sport, things become a little bit more serious. And with that seriousness, you have to learn a lot of different things that make you, if you want to be successful. And that first quality, I think that we both agreed initially was how it developed discipline and that we realized that in sport that to do it well and to be successful, you just got to keep doing it consistently. Like no matter how you feel, regardless of, you know, how sore you are, how tired you are or the loss you had the weekend before, you still got to get up the next day and continue to put in the effort. And it's such a great skill for us to have learned at such an early age because it's one that as coaches now, what we would just see as obvious, a lot of new members struggle with because they don't understand the value of discipline, uh, how to overcome uh, their emotions sometimes to be able to just keep doing what is necessary to get them to where they truly want to be. Yeah, the uh, the transition from our younger youth sport days to getting more mature, getting to high school varsity sports, that's when you got to kind of fine tune some things to get. Hey, you know, um, this is serious now. You know, there's a lot of, a lot on the line. You know, um, people take you know high school sports very competitively, so preparation you know uh there's so much preparation that's what goes hand in hand with the discipline mm -hmm. you know from a football standpoint i think of discipline i think of you know uh going out doing a two a day you know in the florida heat uh, day after day after day no matter how sore you are no matter how tired you are you know uh you're still committed to do that and that takes discipline and then in your um 
you know, from a wrestling standpoint, you know, some some weight cuts you do. Like yeah. anytime I talk about wrestling or I hear about wrestling, I, I never did it. My dad did it. My dad was actually a state champ wrestler for New was Jersey. It? Nice. He got a full ride scholarship to Georgia. Wow, wow, wow. So he tells me some wrestling stories here and there. But um, what I give you wrestlers the utmost credit for is that weight cut. You know, I feel like so much, you know, energy and, you know, mental toughness has to go into a weight cut. Because, you know, I've done some stuff in fitness-wise, you know, uh, to where you have to cut weight or, or water cut as well. Mm-hmm. And that takes the utmost discipline. Yeah, it consumes your overall life from a physical standpoint to a mental standpoint as well. Uh, you know, and a lot of times I did it wrong, Brett. I think that, you know, I had to a make it too really, extreme or? Too extreme or I didn't, you know, prepare ahead enough and now it's i'm two days out from competition and i have 15 pounds to lose so I'm, i had to make a lot of mistakes about learning how to weight cut to say listen like i can't keep doing this if i want to perform well or like enjoy it right because sometimes what would happen is that if you did it improperly it would take a joy around it would it would remove the joy from everything that you really loved about this sport because you weren't preparing, you weren't being disciplined enough to just uh, take care of the details. Yeah, that's good. That's um, your process of weight cutting isn't as uh, thorough and fluently um, when it's you know taking away the joy from actually competing. Because that's why you do it in the first place because you enjoy to do it. Right. Okay. So if you're getting away from uh, enjoying the process by doing something that's a little too extreme, I could totally feel like it'll kind of turn you off on competing. <laughs> It did, and so one of those other qualities that being an athlete helped me create was this idea of goal setting, right? Like, in the beginning of the season, where did I want to compete at and how was I going to get there? Uh, What was I going to do on a weekly basis to make sure that I can meet those goals? Make sure, you know, with wrestling, like, uh, there are clear defined goals from a weight perspective. I have to weigh an exact weight or I cannot compete on a weekly basis. So that were there was always that like it was always in your face that 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 there were goals along the way and towards the season like as athletes the the goal the ultimate goal of all athletes is to be the best. Whether for me it was becoming a wrestling state champ or for you guys to compete really well in the area and to go as high as possible if not win a state championship yourself. And that was the ultimate goal for us and so basically we had to break those goals down throughout the season to make sure that we were giving our best chance to succeed at the end of the year. Yeah, uh, the goal setting introduction um, during that time basically is, you know, something we talk about all the time, uh, reflection. You know, it's to evaluate where you are now, what Mm -hmm. you did previously, you know, your performance previously, and how you can get better. You know, uh, I'm just kind of getting all these memories, you know, uh, flowing through my head. My senior year of baseball, my junior year, we made it to the state final four. Okay, so my senior year, when we're goal setting, it's like, hey, if we don't get better and move past the state final four, it's a failure, Mm. you know. And that's some high expectations for an eighteen-year-old kid. Yeah, for sure. You know, Um, but yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, the the whole goal setting, uh, the intro was right around that time. You know, Uh, as we're maturing in our varsity sports, we're um, more self-aware on the importance of goal setting and not try to, you know, uh, be at a standstill, okay, sure. not get any better 
or even worse, you know, go go backwards. Yeah, and it it, it delivers motivation because like without goals, not just in sport but in life, like you just feel like you're running circles, right? Like if if we hadn't set those goals during the season, then like we couldn't attach to win or losses, right? They're just it's a game, right? And I think competition is more than that. It's being able to set some some expectations that don't currently exist and not even sure whether they're possible and to really push through and fight through that to see if you can even make that come alive. And it's literally creating something that doesn't exist and make it exist. Uh, and that's the beauty for me of goal setting and sport is that you really don't know what's gonna happen, but you're trying to do everything you can to give yourself the greatest possible uh, opportunity to succeed, and that's what goal setting does. Yeah, and then you know, following the goal setting, it comes down to being prepared. Mm. You know, uh, putting in the work. You know, and what I like to say is being over prepared. You know, what we talked about off air a little earlier. You know, being over prepared. Um, you know, I've had some coaches that would put every single small scenario in a game into our heads in practice. Now, the likelihood oh, of yeah. that very small, specific scenario reaching in a right. game, okay, it was very small, you know, slim to none. But the fact that we've been there in practice, and he would, and, you know, I'm talking baseball specifically, but my baseball coach would, honestly, he'd take some music on the loudspeaker, turn it really up, like, kind of just get the whole obnoxious, like, fans yelling and stuff, try to just do his best he could to replicate a game time scenario. Wow. Okay. So then, you know, we're so prepared that if any situation comes during the game, mm -hmm. we're not going to miss a beat because we've been there. We've over-prepared. And with that over-preparedness comes the confidence. That's so funny because my high school wrestling coach would do the same thing. And at the day before a match, he would lay us all down at the end of a practice He'd make us close our eyes and go through an entire wrestling match together. Almost every single scenario That's awesome. you would think possible. So, yeah, I mean, it's a strategy. It's visualization 101. It's stuff that people are just starting to learn about that we are like, like we've done this for a really long time. And there is a productive value to it as well, especially when you're trying to set goals. It it just, it, like you said, it, it built a level of confidence knowing that like, there's no surprises. Like, what if this happens? Like, if that co scenario comes up, you're ready for it because you have, you have over prepared to set yourself up in those situations. And I think, um, I think that's something we learn through sport. Yeah, if you're if you're training uh, all summer, you know, and you're, you know, uh, just day in and day out, waking up early, going to practice sometimes a couple times a day, going through these different scenarios, doing that to where your first game or your first match comes around two months later, mm -hmm. okay, uh, you're prepared. You're not gonna be, you're not, you're not gonna worry about what might happen because you've just been working your ass off the past two months yeah. getting up to this moment. So, you know, you're not gonna flinch. You're not gonna flinch, you know. Uh, and that's could be applied to anything, you know. The more you prepare, the more confident you're gonna be. That's good. That's really good, and that's, uh, that comes back to, like you're saying, over-preparing, knowing that we've, we've been in these situations before, uh, and that comes up to with a lot of our stuff when we talk about uh, when we get injured, how do we handle that? 
what if you lose when you were trying to win? How do you handle that? You went and competed in a competition and you didn't do so well in our sport. Like, how do you handle that resolve? Um, it's really interesting, especially like when you think about like the CrossFit Games. Like when they, like people still don't, someone asked me the other day, uh, when they do the open workout and they announce it, they didn't believe me when I said those two individuals they show live don't know the workout. Yeah, that, that's crazy. It's tough to believe. It's it is, right? Believe, yeah. But it's true. Mm-hmm. And it's because imagine what they do. They over-prepare. They're over-committed. They've gone through all their movements. They're wearing like every piece of gear possible because they don't mm-hmm. know what's going to give to them. And they handle it decently well, right? A lot of them redo it because they want the extra rep or the faster time. But like if you were to throw someone belts in there that hadn't prepared for anything and everything, no, I don't they wouldn't worried sick, they'd be shivering, they'd be scared. Uh yeah, that's a good point. If you look at the facial expressions on uh you know, the the people that are demoing the uh the new open work on the reveal, they don't look too worried when they're getting when Castro's revealing mm. the workout. Mm. If you look at their facial expressions, they're just Okay, let's do it. Like they're they're ready for it. That's such yeah. It's such a great point. It's just such a sign of a competitor. Like, you know, they're thinking like, oh shit, this workout is going to be tough, and then they start to process through that. No, I got this. Okay, how? And they start to think about strategy and and how to give them the greatest chance to succeed through that workout. And they have what eight minutes to warm up. It's the whole thing is crazy to me. Yeah, I feel like the the elite athletes. Um, I've heard them say this numerous times. They try to make their practice or their training way more hell than the actual game day right so that during game day it's like come on bro no i've been through worse yeah yeah exactly worse yeah for me sport too was like especially competition was just to highlight what we were doing behind the scenes right it was like to show off what what we do and who we are um yeah i think that's one of the other great characteristics of what sport has done for us I think the other one that, that I've been thinking about lately with with um, regards to being an athlete and what it's helped us with is how it's taught us how to be team players. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, you know, whenever I talk about team sports and, you know, the glory days, you're always talking about, you said it early in the podcast, you and your buddy, you know, mm-hmm. you and your teammates, you know, um, as young men, we're kind of learning what it's like to go to battle pretty much with our teammates, you know, and you perform way better knowing you have people alongside you with the same goals in mind. And basically they got your back. They got your back yeah. on, on what you're doing. So you're, you don't have that fear of doing, you know, um, even though wrestling is one-on-one, you still, uh, you still have your team behind you, backing you. So you're not in it alone. Yeah, and and you need that. You need that moral support from them, especially when you're, you know, you know, twenty seconds left in a match, and you got the dude's leg, and you have to take him down. That that support means everything, right? Because why why be the best if you can't share it with anything? It's what we described in earlier podcasts, like the scenario being to get everything that you ever wanted. If I told you that right now and I snapped it and you got it. Then I said the catch was is that you can only do that on a deserted island. It would mean absolutely nothing. So the value of the team is what makes the journey and the experience so amazing is that 
when you do finally get to that position where you accomplish something great that you wasn't sure was going to happen and you get to share it with him it's it's a it's a memory and a feeling we'll 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 never forget yeah no the celebration after you know big win with your teammates whether it's you know all linking up at a house or something afterwards that's almost making those memories is almost just as good as actually winning the damn thing it is and the the I, I think that what people forget about team sports is what it teaches you about learning how to be coached. And, you know, I, I've said this before. It's one of my favorite quotes. Even Michael Jordan had a coach. And I think no matter how good you get, it's, uh, it's, it's so important to understand how to learn, you have to remain coachable. And that coachability, uh, for me, was learned through team sport because there was always someone who was – instructing me who was critiquing me for my own to to help me become better and when I looked at that individual as almost a mentor in my life trying to right he's been in those shoes I wanted to be like them I wanted to make them proud and in our training program uh, it's it's quite easy to know who's been an athlete a prior athlete and who hasn't because uh, they their might level not of coachability. Their level of coachability, man. They 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 get the purpose of coaching, right? Not the person who wants to come in and he wants to be a member at our gym, but he only wants open gym. Like I don't want that client because they really don't value coaching. They just all, all they value is the space that our facility has been able to create, but not necessarily the coaching environment. And and that's a sad reality for those people. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Because to really excel to your fullest potential, you have to be coachable. You have to, you know, go in with the mentality that you will always be learning something new. There's always opportunity for growth that Mm. you can't get alone. But you got someone that is a little bit above you that might, you know, give you these little hints and tricks and, you know, be on you, push you a little bit more. Um, That comes down to being coachable, you know, and there's not, you know, just playing sports growing up, there's been plenty of players that had all this talent in the world, mm-hmm. okay, but they didn't. They weren't coachable, and they don't last in the sport yeah. long. You yeah. know, they don't last long. They don't want to. They don't respond well to you know coaching, to discipline, to anything. So they're like in and out, like you know, and it's wasted talent. And yeah. I've seen so much wasted so talent, you know, uh, growing up like that. You know. Uh, I played football with people that I honestly believe had the talent to make it to the NFL, wow. but they they didn't get any better because they weren't coachable. Right. And then mm. when the coaches tried to get them better, they didn't adapt to it well and they took it the wrong way. Right. And they end up quitting. You know, I've heard, how many times have you heard someone say they quit a sport because they didn't get along with the coach? Yeah, you're like, was it the coach or was it? Exactly. Was it the coach or was it you? Did you not you know, take the constructive criticism with open arms to try to get you better? Or were you like, I'm not going to listen to this guy tell me what to do? Right. And that's what you had talked about in the last podcast where there was a situation with a client where really the issue wasn't what you were saying to them is they wouldn't, they weren't getting that what you were trying to do. And that was to help them. And when you just kind of step back for a second to realize that and be able to connect with them again, now your words had more value because that client understood that you weren't trying to be negative. You're actually trying to help them. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, uh, coachability is something, you know, I could definitely tell you caught on to. I caught on to myself. And that's why we are still progressing, you know, and getting better and better just because we are open to taking criticism the right way. Yeah, I, uh, 
there's a uh, you know a new prospect coach that we've been putting through our instructor training program and he's a really great weightlifter i know he moves better and he lifts a lot more than me and so uh last week we were able to put get a weightlifting session in and for the first time in a really long time i was actually being coached because for you know for so long as a business owner and someone who runs a lot of the group classes i do the coaching i lead from the front and Getting coached for about 20 minutes on that one lift. We just spent 20 minutes on one lift. And through every single repetition, he would give me something to think about and consider. It, it made me grateful of that session because what I realized is because we're so motivated to help other people, the coaching is, is so important. And uh, I was grateful for that session and it made me realize that I need to get coached again. I need people to to be there because we create our own mentors through the reading and all the videos that we watch but someone being there critiquing me um in action you know you're, you're you're doing a lift he's saying something yeah it's i missed it and it was about like man i miss being coached and that was that's the essence of, of coachability is like i wanted that i was taking what he was saying and i was trying to apply that and you know knowing that that he was trying to make me better and he would see that value as he coached me through it. It was, it was cool. It, it, I walked out of there like, wow, I need, uh, I need to get, I need to figure this out where I can put that in again so that I can be coached. Yeah, uh, and then it makes the the individual way more likable when you understand, hey, they're they're open for new things. They're open to switch up their style to uh, listen to what you have to say. You know, it makes the individual way more likable. And it's a feedback loop. I say this all the time. Like, there's a responsibility for our members once we teach them something to go help other people. Like, uh, someone said today in, in our ITP, like, I don't, like, as we're teaching them how to be a coach, I don't want to step on your shoes if I say something to someone else in class. And I'm like, no, like, that's not what this is. Mm -hmm. We are all helping other people. And if you feel like there's something you could tell someone else as a member, as they know that you're becoming a coach in our own facility, that has productive value. Don't ever think you're stepping on my shoes. And I wanted to make that clear with them because I didn't want them to think it's like, it's what, it's what I say versus what you say. Like, that's not what we're doing here. The goal of coaching is to help make everyone better. Yeah, what they're thinking is they just don't want to show you up. But if they're doing it with intentions to get the athlete better, who are you showing up? If the heart's in the right place. How you're can not I say showing no? up, any, you know, but if you got, you know, some Joe Schmo trainer that's trying to one up you, yeah, that, that's a different story. But like you just said, if your heart's in the right place, you know, uh, as long as the end goal is getting the athlete better, go ahead, lay it out there. I agree. And, uh, and I think that goes back to the culture of the team, of the atmosphere, the organization of the business is that you have to create that. You have to lead from the front, but you have to have a high expectation for that. Going back to our initial combo about the, I was just thinking about March Madness. I don't keep up with it, but one of the things that I've been watching lately, I don't know if you've kept up with it, the Facebook, the Facebook series they're doing right now in the University of Kentucky. Have you seen it? I haven't. Dude, you have to watch it. They're on episode five, and basically they're taking, they're defining as the youngest team in college basketball, and they're documenting their their season right now and okay uh the coach is a powerful leader and one of the things he continues to say is i got to get them to believe in themselves like they this team has the ability to do great things if he can impart teamwork 
coachability like like um i i recommend everyone to watch it because it's everything that we're talking about yeah i forget his name it's like calipari or something yeah, like that yep. but now he goes down as the most vocal coach in in uh college basketball uh, a lot of the announcers they'll always say that he pours his heart and soul out into just the timeout huddle mm-hmm. like and they'll do some uh uh, I, I can't remember the term for it, but where you can listen to him while he talks during the huddle. A narration. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Like An mid-game. narration. Yeah. Wow, wow, Mid, wow. Mid-game, they'll put his a mic on him. They'll put a mic on him, and you can just – how he talks to the team is, is pretty I crazy. I had heard of him, but I'd never seen him coach. Um, it makes me want to be coached by him when you watch this because you can see these guys getting better. They respect him as a coach. They're trying to be the best. And a lot of these guys through the series are saying, well, why did you come here? And it was always about the coach and what they felt like he could do for them. And it's uh, it's powerful, man. It's really, really powerful. Yeah, you should try to tune in to some Kentucky games this tournament. I will. I definitely will because I have more attachment to it as well. I love. Don't get me wrong. I love all sport. I just, you know, you, you, te- you tend to uh, be attracted to the sport that you played and, and, and did really well. Um, I think the the irony of sport, uh, one of the other factors we talk about, and we just said this earlier, but the irony of sport is that it taught us how to fail successfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it comes back to just, you know, making the constant um, ability to try to get better, you know. So that comes along with some failures. You know, if you fail, okay, you kind of just got to go back to the drawing board. What would you do wrong? How can you get better, you know? And that comes to the slogan that you you mention all the time. You know, you either win or you learn. Yeah, there's no such thing as failure if you're not able to apply it. So, like, when when I would define failure, like, failure when I went to a weekend wrestling competition was I didn't make it on the podium or I didn't didn't win first place. So, failure was I had set the goal, like, I'm doing everything I can throughout the season to win that. If I didn't do it, then it's only failure if I walk into Monday's practice with this poor mindset, like me not, you know, trying to think about what I could do better. That's when it becomes failure because you limit the accountability for things you could have done better and it limits your ability to grow. But if I take it and say, you know what, I, I know what I could have done better so that I could have been on the podium or that I could have placed. And then you spend the entire week working on those things in hopes that you make the podium the following week. And then really ultimately those those turn into what we consider micro goals. And because the ultimate goal at the like what's a what's a perfect season if you if you come down to the state tournament and you completely lose it, don't even place, right? Because ultimately the end goal is the highest accomplishment that we feel like we can succeed for in sports really easy to define. In life, it's a little bit harder because we all have different motivations. Like if you're in basketball, your motivation is to win a state tournament in high school. If you're in basketball in your college, your motivation is to be the best that you can so you can get prospected out into the into the league, right, to the NBA. That's success for them. In the NBA, their goal is to sign a good contract and succeed and hopefully win a, uh, uh, a championship. So like sport is easy to define, but life is a little bit trickier because we all have these different desires and motivations. We said that success was us, for us is being able to take this idea of turning ourselves into really good trainers and coaches and being able to turn this into something that we can make a living doing and enjoying it as well. Whether that's owning a business or wanting to start to own a business or to take in clients, like 
like at one point, Brett, you had no clients. And then at that moment, you said, you know what? I want to be a personal trainer. And what did you did? You got certified, you built your skill set, and you built on clients. That was success. You've made that position. And when you finally got that, that, that target has moved. And that's the thing with success in life is that the target will always move. Like I just bought a new home, right? And the target five years ago was to make enough money to hopefully buy my first home. Yeah, now you're on your second. Congrats, man. Thanks, man. But for three years, every time I went to the mortgage lender, I wasn't making enough money. And they continued to say, you're doing well. You're, this year was better than last year, but you're still not making enough money to get proof for a certain amount of money for me to buy the house. And so I had to keep coming back to that, right? And now, so that target was to buy the first home. I enjoyed the home for three years. And then it turned into another moving target, which is like, this house is just is going to outgrow us. How can I move into a different? And so the target changes, whether it's my personal life, whether it's with the business saying, hey, we've met these targets and what success looks like for me. It's different for everybody. And, you know, we, we what we do is we just take these principles that we learned as athletes to kind of make that goal more real in our lives. Yeah, it comes back to, to goal setting, you know, just like we talked about earlier in the podcast. And it's like you just mentioned, it's way easier to define it, you know, when you're young, you're in sport. When you get older, you know, maybe the vision's not as clear. You know, you don't want, you're not sure what the end goal is going to be. You know, you're kind of staying present in the moment. You're doing what you enjoy to do, okay? And just like we progress in youth sports, getting older and older and it being more meaningful, it's the same thing with everyday life. You know, as we're maturing, as we're getting older, like, hey, our end goal comes a little bit more clear, you know, and that just um, comes into play the maturing process of, you know, growing in life, getting older, you know, um, pinpointing more specifically where you want to end up at and then define, you know, what success is to you. Yeah, and we know that we have, I don't want to call it a hack, but we have the tools for success that were given to us by athletic sport. And so that we know no matter what goal we have in our life, whether that changes or our passions change, that we have the tools to the toolbox to be able to make these things a reality in our own life because of all the things, the factors that sport uh, has has taught us. Yeah, no, I've heard... uh this saying which you'll probably you know take uh get a good takeaway from you know the a lot of people can consider business a sport and the scoreboard your bank account Mm. (laughs) so that's good you know um yeah no i think uh i think we nailed it on the head man some good uh some good takeaways for the podcast yeah man so i think what i my heart at the gym is really to help teach principles that have made us successful to help people reach their goals because ultimately like we say this all the time like if they walk in and said hey i just want to be fitter i want to have like i want to get lean i want to lose weight like if they did all those things but they become unhappy or they're in major pain all the time because of those we've missed we we missed the whole point like for us sport was be able to achieve something great and be happy right and i think that's what i'm trying to you know portray are to profess right as a coach and to our own members like like being fit for the sake of being fit is not the goal man and that's what my heart's at is like hey you're fit cool you can do some great things now let's go have fun outside of here yeah no yeah exactly it's there's no point on working you know putting on all this work if it's not enjoyable you know it's it comes back to the same we've uh talked about plenty of times is enjoy the process enjoy the process 
you know, uh, don't just be too worried about the end result and just enjoy what you're doing. That's perfect, man. I think you said it perfectly. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you guys for listening. Cool, guys. Thanks a lot, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace.